Hi, and welcome to Popaholics, the show where a dad and daughter dish on pop culture. I'm Steve Hall. I'm Kate Hall. Welcome to season four, the season where we are going to break the 100 episode mark. Uh, you know, there will be parades and um, <laughs> I'm expecting something in Congress, you know, some kind of citation or something. But anyway, <laughs> Kate, did you have a nice New Year's? I did have a nice New Year's. Um, my friends had a a pajama party slash um, mac and cheese competition. Oh, so nice! Pajamas were that was the style prompt, and then they had a mac and cheese competition. But I didn't have to make any mac and cheese. I just got to eat mac and cheese, so that was great. So, um, what was what was noteworthy about the best mac and cheese? Um, the best one was, uh, it had jalapenos in it, but it wasn't like too spicy. It had a nice kick. Um, and that was really good. My favorite came in second place and it was like, it felt like a pretty traditional mac and cheese. Um, I'm not sure what the cheeses were, but there was like a nice, there was like some panko breadcrumbs in there too. So there was good texture. People are weird about their breadcrumbs versus no breadcrumbs on mac and cheese yeah i'm pro, i'm pro breadcrumb i guess <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then we just we played trivia and talked about our our 2022s best and or worst of and then i was home by one o'clock <laughs> we were in holland michigan we had a great vacation there back in 2019 with our our friends uh mike Bodie, you know, who writes mm-hmm. our music and mm-hmm. his wife, Mary Kay. And we went back and I was, I was thinking it wasn't going to be as much fun because we'd already been there and it was just as much fun, you know, had a great time. And New Year's Eve, Mike and I stayed out in the hot tub until one thirty in the morning. So yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was a great trip. So soaking, soaking them bones, soaking them bones. That's right. So, Kate, what uh, what pop culture have you been consuming? Before we hit record, you told me what we were going to talk about first, and I spaced out. So I think we're talking about... Glass Onion, a Knives Out Mystery. Yeah, which is on Netflix. So for anyone who has seen the first movie, the first one is just called Knives Out. Daniel Craig plays a Southern private investigator, a detective named Benoit Blanc. And so in Glass Onion, he's back to solve another whodunit. And I don't want to say anything else because I don't want to give anything away. Like, like it also kind of feels like you don't have to have seen, well, maybe you do have to have seen the first one to kind of understand his character. But also I think you would enjoy it if you haven't seen this, the second one, or you haven't seen the first one either. And so, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Name some of the actors that are in it. In the first one or the second one? The second in Glass one. Night- Glass Onion, led by Daniel Craig, also stars Kate Hudson. Who else on here? Uh, Catherine Hahn, Leslie O'Donnell Jr. from um, Hamilton, Dave Bautista, and Ed Norton, and also Janelle Monet, who is a musician slash act- actress. And I loved her. I thought she did a great yeah, job. I thought she was great. But my <laughs> thoughts on the on it were: we loved the first one, which we saw in the theater. We thought it was very clever, very smart. This one, I didn't get around to seeing just because of life stuff well it just it just came out yeah but there, it was that it's been out a few weeks right uh, 
I didn't know that. The, see, I, we've talked about how I don't actually go to the movie theater. 23rd. <laughs> I think it came out December 23rd. There was just so much press and hype about it. Um, you know, stories like uh, Glass Onion ending explained. And, um, oh, here's how Daniel Craig came up with this character. And I think that all kind of affected me a little bit. I thought, because I, I thought it was... I thought it was good. I thought Janelle Monet was great, but I didn't like it as much as the first one, which I, I would put me in the minority. Okay. I mean, I th- I think there, it felt like two completely different stories to me, which is probably why I enjoyed both of them. And also I, I was kept guessing for both movies throughout the whole movie each time, which I really liked because not that I'm, you know, super smart and I can see it coming a mile away, but with how much I, I read how much, uh, other, you know, movies and, and series I've watched, I can usually find the tropes and know what's coming. So I, I feel like these are set up, both movies are set up in such a way that I was completely surprised, which was really cool. Yeah, uh, yeah. So, and I will say that I read something that the guy who wrote and directed both movies, Johnson, I, Ryan Johnson or something like that. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay. He um he was not happy that Netflix titled this one Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery because he felt like they should be seen as separate entities. And like if there's a third one, it should be a separate entity. Else. Not not like in a series. So Yeah. Yeah. I can <laughs> I can kind of see his point. Because in, you know, in one way, it might entice people to keep going with the, if you are thinking that way with the next one in the series. Um, But also at the same time, if you didn't really like the first one, then you might just be like, man, I know what this is already. Yeah. Glass Onion on Netflix. Watch for some of the fun cameos in that movie. Yeah. There were so many cameos. There were so many cameos. (laughs) What else have you been uh, consuming <laughs> pop-wise? Excuse me. So uh, also on Netflix, and this has been out forever. I can't remember when it was released in theaters, but it's been on Netflix for a little bit. So New Year's Eve Eve, the day before New Year's Eve uh, or the night, I was chilling solo. And so usually I cannot watch pretty gory, violent stuff when Resident Kid Expert is around. So I took my opportunity and I watched a Bullet Train, which is now on Netflix. That one is stars Brad Pitt. And the summary is five assassins aboard a swiftly moving bullet train find out that their missions have something in common. And so also in the cast are Brian Tyree Henry, Aaron Taylor Johnson, Joey King is in it, Sandra Bullock's in it, tons of people. There was there were so many. I don't know if I want to say cameos, but you'll be like, oh, I know that. Oh my God. Oh, there's that person. And so it is, like I said, trigger warning, it's extremely gory, but it was also really funny. It was fast paced, kept me guessing throughout the whole thing. And I, I generally liked what Brad Pitt did with his role. Um, He's kind of, I don't know if I want to say bumbling, he's a little bit bumbling, which is a weird thing to say about being an assassin, but that was kind of the vibe. Uh, but then I also really enjoyed Brian Tyree Henry and Aaron Taylor Johnson play two partners, partner assassins that like, they're like a duo. And I loved their back and forth 
because they love each other, but they like bicker, and it was all very uh, bantery. Nobody, nobody can see my hands moving back and forth. <laughs> back and forth, her hands waving like palm trees like in tennis, the wind, like a tennis match. Um, <laughs> and so, so yeah, I really liked that one as well. But again, not- I've seen neg- <laughs> I've seen real mixed reviews of it. Oh, really? Yeah. I really like. Again, not suitable if you have small children. If you don't like gore, maybe not your scene. But if you have enjoyed, I would say if you've enjoyed other kind of martial arts movies, because there's there's a little bit of that as well, you might like it. Okay. All right. So that's um, Bullet Train on Netflix. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to, uh, since we're talking about assassins, seems like a good time to talk about this book, uh, which I got for Christmas, The Terminal List by Jack Carr. And Jack Carr, this is an uh, older book. He's, I think he's written, I don't know, four or five of these uh, books. And his, he's, his background is he's a former Navy SEAL. And so he knows all the training the Navy SEAL people go through, the yeah. weapons they use, how they use them, why, you know, uh, what what uh, it's like to be in combat, um, just all this stuff that makes the story seem authentic. So the premise of this book, of the terminal list, is that a, a guy is James Reese is uh, leading his unit on this mission. It doesn't feel right from the beginning, but it supposedly it came down from, you know, all the way at the top. Right. And it goes south. And then and almost all of his guys die. Suddenly, they're trying to blame the put the blame on him, but then also other weird things are happening as though somebody wants to kill him. Hmm. So, the circumstances are that he, uh, at the back of the book jacket, says, um, he didn't start this fight, but he's going to finish it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a perfect description of it. So, it's a thriller and uh, it's fast paced. Uh, like I said, all of that Navy SEAL uh, background really plays into the the story and uh, makes it seem really real. I will say there are a few moments in the book that are a little um, right-wingy. This guy's obviously conservative. Jack Carr's obviously conservative. Well, I shouldn't say who the two villains are. The two villains kind of reminded me of the the Clintons. So, oh, okay. Yeah, a little bit. So anyway, that is The Terminal List uh, by Jack Carr. and. Um, Supposedly, the terminal list was adapted into an Amazon Prime video series starring Chris Pratt, but I haven't seen it, so I can't tell you if that's good or not. Uh, that's because things with Chris Pratt got real weird real quick. So I think we all kind of went, ugh, and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and backed away. <laughs> so. Star Lord, no more. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if, you know, because he's married to Arnold Schwarzenegger's daughter now. Yep. So I don't know if that was the, like, end goal was become the next uh, Arnold. Oh. But it just, it felt, I don't know, just like stuff he said in interviews and opinions that he's had, which, of course, he's allowed to have them. Just just felt like, ugh. I don't know who this person is. Well, and I really <laughs> liked his I really like his first wife. Anna Ferris. Anna Ferris. I Not saw the, I saw I saw a scary uh, movie one. I think her name's Catherine, Catherine Schwarzenegger. We don't have anything against her. It's just like 
the vibe is weird. The vibe got weird. The vibe is <laughs> weird. And I'll just say about Anna Ferris that I, she's very funny, great comedic chops. I saw a scary movie, the first scary movie recently, and she's the mm-hmm. the heroine of that. And she's it's just perfect. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, Kate, what else? Yeah. Um, so I have a couple books to talk about. And stop me if we talked about this on the last podcast. I don't think that we did because it's been a while. But I recently read a novel titled The Maid by Nita Prose. Okay, good. I was like... <laughs> it was me shaking my head. You couldn't see and that. Dad, dad was like, nope, we haven't talked about it. Um, okay, so... And I have to read this word for word. I found a little blurb about it on the internet. And I thought it was perfectly... It was great. It sums it up better than I could ever, ever could. So... Quote, in Nita Pro's The Maid, Molly Gray, a hotel maid, quickly finds herself caught in a web of deception when she is targeted as a suspect of the murder of the infamous and wealthy Charles Black. This locked room mystery reveals that all mysteries can be solved through connection to the human heart. And that quote is from a website called Mm. criminalelement.com. Because again, I wanted to talk about it, but not give anything away. And so, and also I picked this book up because on the back of the the thing above the description it says now in production or in development for a major motion picture produced by and starring Florence Pugh who is a very extremely talented act- actress so yeah. i was like oh you got me and so <laughs> just based on that alone i was like oh let's see where this goes again keeps you guessing a pretty quick read yeah. And that's all I want to say about it. I'm like, okay. can I, t- I don't, I can't say anything else because I don't want to accidentally give anything away. So that's The Maid by Nita Prose. Okay. Well, I'm going to uh, go in a different direction. Right before Christmas, watched Pinocchio, which is by um, Del the, Toro. Yeah. Guillermo, Guillermo Del Toro. Yes. Um, of Pan's, Pan's Labyrinth. Shape of Water. Yep. All of that. Yeah. So this is a 2022 stop motion animated musical fantasy that's directed by him and Mark Gustafson with a screenplay screenplay by Del Toro and Patrick McHale, uh, of course, loosely based on the 1883 Italian novel, The Adventures of Pinocchio. And it's strongly influenced by the uh, illustrations for this 2002 edition of the book. It reimagines the story of Pinocchio, of course, which we we know, you know, Geppetto creates him sort of a substitute son. He wants to be a real boy, but he has some problems learning right. how to be good, right? And has yeah. misadventures. What's interesting to me about this thing is if this was a pet project, Del Toro's. He really has been trying to make this for a few years. And um, finally, Netflix agreed to pony up, pony up the money. The animation's great. The look of the thing is just really fantastic. If you're used to the Disney Pinocchio, where he basically looks like a boy with a joints drawn on him, <laughs> this <laughs> Pinocchio, not- this Pinocchio, <laughs> he he actually has wood grain all over his body and yeah. you know, his, his face and whatnot. It's kind of you know tree tree like. So this this thing has a ton of um, actors in it. Ewan McGregor, uh, Ron Perlman, John Turturro, Finn Wolfhard from Stranger Things, Kate Blanchett, uh, Tim Blake Nelson, Christopher Waltz, Christopher, 
Christoph Waltz, excuse me, and Tilda Swinton. Okay. Like I said, it looks fantastic. I will say it is a little sad and creepy in parts. And it is, it's a musical, and I didn't think it needed to be a musical. I thought it would have been better without the, the songs that they had. And Ewan McGregor, who is um, the cricket uh, companion of Pinocchio, he's not called mm-hmm. Gemini. He has a different name in this one. He irritated me because he just, the way his character is written, he's just, this is my home. What are you doing to my home? You know, don't be messing with Pinocchio. He's my home. And I'm trying to write a novel and blah, 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 blah. So uh, he didn't win any fans with me. But uh, (laughs) I guess overall, obviously, there were some negative things there. But I I guess overall, taking a look at and seeing, you know, what, what you think. So that's Pinocchio. Uh, and you can see it as Del Toro's Pinocchio. I think it might be listed as on uh, Netflix. Okay. Well, I didn't write in my notes about it, but I watched, this is a very Netflix heavy episode, but I watched Wednesday on Netflix. That's I think Tim Burton created that follows Wednesday Adams of the Adams family. And it's much more, it's almost entirely focused on her and her um, kind of trying to, not really trying to, her struggling to find her place at kind of a boarding school in Massachusetts called Nevermore. There's some Harry Potter vibes, but it's also much, much more, she's supposed to be, I think, 15 or 16 um, in this story. So it's also like... Uh, Sabrina, the, it reminded me of Sabrina the Teen Witch parts of it. Yeah. It's that much vibe. more that vibe. And so, and I think if you are a person on the internet, you've probably seen all of the uh, various TikToks and Instagrams of people recreating the dance that the actress Jenna Ortega did for one of the episodes. And and I'm not going to lie, that is what drew me in in the first place. Because <laughs> I've been seeing like little blurbs about how she, when she was trying to come up with how she was going to dance in this particular scene in the episode she was doing all this research of like watching like original goth kids and how they danced and what the music was like and all that stuff and I was like oh okay not that I'm you know any I know anything about goth especially like the original goth kids of the I said would say early to mid 90s but it piqued my interest enough that I was like all right let me see what this is about so uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones plays Morticia. I can't remember the gentleman's name that plays Gomez. You've seen him. He's in a ton of stuff. Ton of uh, stuff. And he's actually, <laughs> he's actually much more like Go- the Gomez in the original uh, cartoons okay. by Charles Adams. So yeah, I liked it. Um, it's another kind of like murder mystery thing. That's her, that's Wednesday's thing. She loves, she loves to solve a mystery. So weird stuff is happening and she's going to figure it out. I'll yeah. say about this one that Trish and I started to watch it, uh-huh. and we got about halfway through the episode, and I, the Sabrina, I thought, I thought it got it got a lot less interesting once she left the regular high school and you know went to Nevermore, right? <laughs> that that was like the first episode. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Okay, but since then the dance and then i've had people whose opinions i respect on facebook keep saying you you need to go back keep with it great show so yeah I probably, probably will go back and 
watch more of it. Yeah. The I know they kind of have to establish her since it's this the series is titled Wednesday. So they have to, you know, explore what uh is going on with her and her motives and sit, really like get into her character. I will say I wish there was a little bit more there's a there's a little touch of it here and there. I wish there was more of an exploration of her and Morticia's yes. relationship because that felt like that could be really interesting. So maybe they're saving that in case it gets picked up for season two. I read uh, something like um, she can't compete with her mother because, you know, Morticia, she's super sexy and and all that. So yeah. she's trying to find her own way. That's what I, I read that. Um, kind of. I do feel like it's weird to put a mother and a teenage daughter in competition in that way. And again, you know, you're 15, like, yeah, you're kind of starting, or you have been thinking about guys and or girls and figuring out who you are and what you like romantically and sexually, but also like, you're still a child. Um, (laughs) So, (laughs) so I feel like I'm sure that there's, that it's very easy to make that comparison but i feel like that's maybe missing the point a little bit it felt to me more like you know morticia has these powers wednesday has kind of the same thing going on but a little bit different and so like let's explore that because at one point morticia says basically tells wednesday oh we both have this thing but here's how i figured out you know how to harness my power but i can't I can't teach you how to figure out what's going on with you. And that, I think that's really interesting because you want, as a parent, you want to be able to guide your kid. And it's also, you know, it's hard and it's scary to not, to not be able to do that and to not have the answers and to just kind of have to watch your kid go through it. (laughs) So (laughs) I'd like to see more of that. All right. Christina Ricci will always be my Wednesday Adams. Yeah. Uh, I, I just thought she was fantastic in that role. Uh, okay, so that's uh, Wednesday on mm-hmm. Netflix. Okay, yep. I think we have time to mention one more thing real quickly. Driving back from our Michigan adventure, I started listening to this podcast called A History of Rock and Roll in 500 Songs. And it's by a guy in Manchester, England named Andrew Hickey. And the deal was that he had written all these blog blog post he blogged about rock and roll for quite a while and then got around to to making them into podcasts and they're interesting um like the one i'll talk about is the uh, the one on the kinks which was called the kinks waterloo sunset which of course is the a really beautiful song that ray davies wrote it was it was interesting it, it covered the period from when they had their first hit up until shortly after Waterloo Sunset was released and Ray Davies sounds like he would be a hard guy to be in a band with that <laughs> he both he both wanted to be recognized more for for his talent but he also yeah. felt like he had imposter syndrome and then he also was like no I don't want all this attention on me he would it would like this war with himself and that they were a very combative band famously the drummer hit Ray's brother over the head with a cymbal uh, on stage during a show, knocked him out. 
But the most interesting thing about this podcast was yeah. he was pointing out that Ray's, that's the span where he wrote the best songs, coincided with his marriage to Roz, I think her name was. Uh, we know that she is an uncredited, uncredited backup singer on some of their recordings. We know that in the song uh, Lazing on a Summer Afternoon, She's the one that came up with that in the summertime. Okay. Mm -hmm. That part of the chorus. And so his, this guy, Andrew Hickey's theory was that she probably was involved a lot more in the creation of these songs than she was given credit for. So, and she, he wrote a blog about this. She replied in a way that it didn't deny it. So yeah. Yeah, it was pretty interesting. But Ray is the legally credited author of these songs. Yeah. So <laughs> it's really, it's really, um, it's, <laughs> it's, I'm not allowed to curse on the podcast. I was going to say it's really um, S word of me to be like, well, what else is new? A woman not getting credit. <laughs> hmm. hmm. Uh, um, shock. <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> but we don't we don't need to go there. When you first said Manchester, England, I was thinking of, and I think it's from the musical Hair, and I couldn't tell you what song, but there's part where there's a part where it's like Manchester, England, England. Do you remember that? No, <laughs> no. Okay, never mind. Uh. <laughs> but it is it is an interesting podcast, and uh, the notes say it's. It's organized very notionally, I think is what it, notionally based around one song, which is true. I mean, it was the episode was called Waterloo Sunset, but then you didn't hear anything about that until the very end. Yeah. Um, so and it, I, I listened to uh, one on Jefferson Airplane and it, it bears uh, looking into. So that's A History of Rock and Roll in 500 Songs by Andrew Hickey. It's a podcast. We're almost out of time. So Kate, okay. where can people find us? People can find us on Facebook and Instagram at Papaholics Podcast. Uh, I think still on Twitter at Papaholics. Uh, and then please, if you have any other streaming, listening, reading recommendations, please shoot us an email to papaholicspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah. For some reason, I'm thinking that I already put a clip of the, of the Wednesday Adam dance in uh, the last newsletter, but if we didn't, we'll, it'll be included in the chapter notes. It's a good dance. It's a good dance. It's a good dance. <laughs> All right. <laughs> For uh, Papaholics, I'm Steve Hall. I'm Kate Hall. Go out and enjoy pop culture. Bye.